All right, everybody. Welcome to the Mentor of the Month podcast. I'm Stuart Anderson, joined by Steve Anderson. Hey, Steve. Good day. And we have Sterling Staller, Crown Council member, legend. Hello, Sterling. How you doing, Stuart? Very good. Grateful to have you on the podcast today. Long overdue. We're grateful to spend a few minutes with you. Uh, Steve, you just got back from the fishing trip. Do you want to talk about that for just a sec? We did our second uh, Rivers for Hope charity fly fishing expedition uh, in Yellowstone. It was amazing. Uh, Organized by Dr. Jared Tyre and all of the proceeds benefit the Smiles for Life Foundation. It was awesome. Caught more fish than I have ever caught in my life. (laughs) That's a success. And and they were huge. Sure they were. And it was all catch and release. So you just (laughs) got to take my word for it. Yeah, real big. But no, it was, it really was awesome. Jared just did an amazing organizational job. So uh, next year's expedition is already on the, uh, in the planning. Uh, It's going to be in June of 2023 up in Montana. So yeah. different uh, location. All that benefits uh, Smiles for Life going directly to the humanitarian uh, expeditions in the Dominican Republic and Guatemala. Very cool. And Steve, remind me, how many people were on the expedition? There were 12, I believe we had 12 couples. Okay. So 24 plus guides and cooks and the whole deal. It was great. Very cool. Very good. You ever fly fish, Sterling? A couple of times. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. Especially if you have the right guide. That's right. It's an, another big vote for having great mentors. I agree. I, I thought agree. you were gonna. I thought you were gonna say another great vote for Brad Pitt's movie. Gotcha. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> Very cool. I've never fly fished. I'm probably. Uh, I'm long overdue to yeah, try that expedition. That's great. Well, we're grateful to have Sterling with us. I was looking at some of his history with Crown Council. One of the earliest uh, members of Crown Council joined in 1998. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But uh, Sterling has been involved in many things as part of Crown Council, particularly Smiles for Life, having raised over $54,000 over uh, the lifetime of participating in Smiles for Life whitening. And Sterling has participated in the annual event uh, every year for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. The last nine years, uh, we've had the, the pleasure of being together at the annual event. So um, long history with us. And I'll just read a little short introduction of uh, of Sterling, a little bio. So his bio, uh, t- although the, you're going to have to help me with some of the words in case I flub these up. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Attended Southern Nazarene University and then Oklahoma College of Dentistry, graduated in 1985. Uh, Sterling purchased his practice and started his dental journey January of 1986. He's done several CE courses and continuums over the years, and in 2001, started a mobile dental company to provide care in nursing homes, a very underserved population. Still doing that, that today, he's had a, uh, it's been a very rewarding part of his career, In Oklahoma, he cares for 160 nursing homes and close to 3,000 residents. Sterling says that the three most influential courses and mentors of his career have been the Pride Institute, Pankey in the early 90s, and Crown Council, which he joined in the mid-1990s. He's also a member of the special care dentistry that focuses on the treatment of handicapped and geriatric patients. 
Uh, right now, he's enrolled in an 18-month 18 18-month 18 certification course with the American College of Integrative Medicine and Dentistry. We're grateful to have you, Sterling. This was this was Steve's suggestion. We collaborated, and we're grateful to have you on. I know you guys. Your history goes way. Wait, what did I miss, Steve? You guys go way from the from the very beginning. Um, this one of the things <clears throat> I want to talk about. This one of the things that I um, really have a huge admiration for Sterling is uh, you. You've had two lives in dentistry, two very distinct. You built two hugely successful practices, not locations, but two very distinctly different types of practices that, that I want to talk about today, but just um, very innovative and making a huge difference. So uh, why don't you take us back to the beginning, coming out of dental school, uh, Oklahoma, where you landed, why you landed, how'd you get started? Yeah, so Oklahoma City, born and, and raised here, so didn't get far. And so, yeah, I graduated in the middle 80s, you know, in the financial, another financial crisis that was going on then, you know, interest rates were high and the oil boom busted here in Oklahoma. So, oh, um, you, so you had the oil, you had the oil tank that, that made it, yes. that was a double, double whammy. Yeah, no, it was a double whammy. Yeah. And so I uh, bought a practice, but, um, you know, to me, it kind of felt like being thrown in the lake and learn how to swim, you know, yeah. 25 years old and you're the CEO day one. And, you know, I had a team of three, uh, but still just, uh, you know, learning to cut my teeth on, you know, leading a practice and developing a practice. And so a lot of lessons, uh, that's kind of when I started in Pride Institute, Jim Pride. And I don't know how many people remember that name, but just had a lot of good courses. Uh, first course was in leadership and it was three or four courses and just learning to lead a team and principles of leadership. And it was uh, really good. So, so cool. you, uh, one of the significant pieces of this, tell everybody exactly where you are in Oklahoma. Oklahoma City. I don't know. What do you mean? Oklahoma City. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot is overcoming adversity and, right. and you, you have had um, more than one major tornado that has come through oh, a yeah. specific town. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, within a half a mile or mile, you have our practice two times. Yes, sir. Yeah. So Strategic, strategically located. And uh, I believe after the last one, didn't you put in a tornado? Underground. Show? Yeah. No, no underground cellars and safe rooms. And yeah. Yeah, Smart. we sure did. It was too close for comfort. Yeah, it was. Um, you weren't very far from the school that got. That's right. Uh, yeah, I mean out. that that tornado went within oh half a mile a mile of my practice. Oh, yeah, so wow. too close, too close. So first gen, I'm going to talk about first generation. Uh, your first practice. Yes. Uh, that uh, continues on today, hugely successful. If you were to to identify you know, really two or three things that really made that practice in your, your town successful in addition to the, all the CE you did, but strategically what's made it work? Sure. Well, it was, I put crown council, but you know, it's boot, dental boot camps, last tops, yeah. uh, you know, learning the systems, but uh, the culture 
you know, I talked about leadership, but then uh, being involved with Tops and Pam Peterson, a big part of it, you know, coming into the practice. Pam, Pam was the coach. Yeah. Coach (laughs) and just uh, a huge mentor, you know, for me. And uh, so, but getting the the team right, the culture right, uh, so that you're drawing those patients in, um, they're attracted to that and uh, treating the people right and the patients right. Very good. good people work for good people. <laughs> Seems to work out that way, yes. <laughs> it does work that way. Work out that way. Um, best marketing strategy that you employed in your first practice? So it shifted through the years. Initially, you know, I would say it's new move postcards. Yeah. I used to get the list of the people moving in the neighborhood and do postcards, mm-hmm. and it worked really well in the, you know, early 90s. Yep. And then uh, the last part was the, the website yep. and using the oh, the ads and I don't know exactly what you call it, the SEO. SEO, yeah. And, and, and uh, that worked uh, tremendously well <clears throat> for us. You get the good reviews going and, and uh, worked very, very well. So um, at what point in your practice experience did did you start tapping into the underserved and in many cases, you know, the, the, what we now can, what we now call the IDD community, the intellectually and developmentally disabled population, you started doing that in your first practice at what point and what kind of led to that? What started that? So that was in 2001 and I lived next door to a guy that owned 15 nursing homes. And so we were just chit-chatting one day and he talked about how difficult it was to get care delivered in the nursing homes. And there was only one company doing it in the whole state. And he just said they had the monopoly and therefore the customer service was just not there. They didn't answer their phone. And when they came out, they would say, hey, I see three people today. And he was really in a bind because the state has statutes that you have to deliver dental care. You have to make it available. And so I saw an opportunity there. And that's what kind of the light bulb went off. And so I started down that path, taking care of his 15 homes and then applying the principles that I'd learned in my private practice, um, you know, the, all the uh, customer service and how we treat people. And uh, it was kind of amazing when you show up on time and do what you say you'll do, <laughs> you know, your company grows. Yeah, amazing. So, yeah, very quickly within five, six years, we were the predominant provider in the state. So, and this, you know, I didn't certainly, I had no appreciation for this <clears throat> until I came to Oklahoma and you took me out and we, we went and you showed me exactly how this is done. Right. I had no idea of, of exactly, you know, you talk about mobile units and I'm picturing you know, a mobile practice and they come out and get in the mobile unit and the whole deal. And it's nothing like that at all. So maybe you can just characterize a little bit. So everybody has an appreciation for how care is delivered in, in this environment. Sure. So the closest analogy I can make, it's that like third world or missionary dentistry. Yeah, it is. Because we go on site, we set up in a different room almost every time it's what's available. Uh, the nursing home, you know, we've been in barber shops, beauty shops, recreational rooms, patient rooms, you know, whatever they have available, we have to adapt to set up. And so our equipment 
I made my model to be where it would fit in a car so we could travel easier and better than trying to get, you know, $300,000 nursing, you know, motorhomes. Right. And so we go into little equipment that we can set up. It's very portable. And so challenges, uh, a lot of times the patients, residents can't be transferred from their wheelchairs. Um, you know, I always describe it, it's kind of like working with 80 year old pedo patients. You have just a little window there, you know, to work with and they're done. Okay. I mean, it's kind of like a pedo patient when they're done, they're done. Yeah. And you better be done. So uh, it has its own set of unique challenges, um, but, but very, very, very rewarding. The, um, for those that have been on the, <clears throat> the humanitarian expeditions that we do in the Dominican Republic and Guatemala and other areas, um, and I think I shared this with you, um, Sterling, is that the units that you're using are the same units we're using mm. in the DR. It's the sure. same portable hand-carried units. Right. You open them up and, and you're in business in five minutes or less. So right. exact same Exactly. Yep. And the, the thing that I admire the most about this is that from what I've seen is one, this is a, a hugely underserved population. Agreed. That is, it's not easy to deliver care. And that's for sure. Just because of the the immobility that they're not, I mean, they don't get out. They can't, I mean, there's just so many limitations and to figure out one, how to do it. And then uh, number two, how to staff it so you can actually execute it was not an easy proposition. <laughs> yeah, no, baby steps, baby steps. Um, so today uh, you now serve over half right? Over half the nursing homes in the state of Oklahoma. Yeah, I'd say about three quarters. Yeah, three quarters. So uh, the guy who had the monopoly, obviously, does not. Have <laughs> no. uh, yeah. But a huge testament to just like you said, doing doing what you say you'll do, providing great service. Uh, and like <clears throat> everything that we always talk about, it's about the relationship not in this case, not just with the patient, but it's about the relationship you have with the administrators and the nursing home and all the people involved. True. Yeah, true. And that's where it's been helpful. I was just thinking one thing that popped in my, my brain was like that you taught one of your tenants is uh, not to say no, learn, learn how not yeah, to say yeah, no. Yes, practice. And so, you know, we had a big conversation about that one time because uh, we get put in positions where we have to say no, but we try to st structure it. So we give them two options. Yeah, you know, give them and, an option of what they can do to get what they right. need. Right, and it might not be their desired one, but at least we're giving them, you know, a couple of options. But just little things like that, I think, set us apart from our competitors and uh, our attitude and how we approach it. The the one of the the innovative things that really has propelled this whole, you know, this second practice now, and and I think just be important for everybody to know that. You built your first practice, hugely successful. You sold that. Uh, and while you were, I mean, you were building really two practices at the same time, but you sold your bricks and mortar practice. And, and now uh, the, the, uh, this practice, the nursing home practice is, it's huge. Yes. <laughs> Especially compared to the first practice, huge, huge business. Uh, but the whole piece of, Maybe you can just touch briefly 
on what really fueled all of this, which was figuring out a better way to get paid and a better way for your patients to pay. Because there's, yes. there's some huge innovation here. Yeah, so that, and I don't know how really all that evolved. I mean, it was just one of those, in my mind, God things that the framework was there and everything was there for me to connect the dots. But there, we created a prepaid dental plan but the law had to be on the books for me to be able to do that. And it was already there. And I don't know why and who did it and who had done the homework, but it was prepaid dental plan where our patients, residents have a menu. I have a menu of services that we can provide for a monthly subscription fee premium that is paid by Medicaid. Mm -hmm. And so it's not really a fee for service. You know, I'm getting paid a monthly premium. It's a prepaid dental plan. You know, there's a menu of services that we deliver for X number of dollars a month. And that was the key part of it that made it work financially. Yeah, so this, so the the way to do it was there, the law had been passed, nobody was using it. Correct. And you found it. I found it. <laughs> Started offering it. And what what's amazing about it now in retrospect is that in general, absent the Medicaid part, it's gone mainstream in dentistry. I mean, having right. your own dental savings plan right. uh, is going just wild all over the country because insurance companies just don't get it. Correct. And so, you know, more and more practices are, are, are doing it this way. But the thing that made it work was this little narrow little law that made it a Medicaid reimbursable, reimbursable. expense. Correct. Correct. And that's not the case in every state, but correct in your state it was. It worked. Yes. Yeah. And so now that's the, I mean, that because of what you've done, that's the preferred way in the whole state. It is. And My competitors do it that way now. Yeah. You changed the whole, you changed yeah. the way that dentistry was delivered and, and how it was paid for. Yep. Make it, make it easy. Sterling, so, I just, oh, can I have a follow-up? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sterling, I was just wondering what guides, um, so when, as you've created everything that you've built and you, and uh, you train your teams and you serve your patients, has there been a guiding principle, like a guiding philosophy of care that you try to have stuck by or something that you learned from an early mentor, um, maybe someone that's influenced you? Is there something that guides these uh, businesses that you've built? I wish I could say that I have some great <laughs> phrase I can whip out off the top of my head, but, but no, you know, it's evolved through the years. Uh, we sat around and have a lot of discussions about it, you know, to treat people how we want to be treated. Um, you know, when we're talking to people, uh, pretend that, that that was our mom, you know, in the nursing home. So we try, we do have those kind of discussions, but unfortunately I don't have, like I say, a great, you know, phrase here to, to whip out, you know, so. Very good. The um, one of the the things about the that whole community now that you serve is uh, maybe you could speak to two things because I think this is this is so fascinating. One, uh, what is the average patient lifespan, if you will? I mean, we're you know we we talk about how long you can keep a patient. In your case, it's how long they're going to live. I mean, they're right, right. Uh, so that's one. 
And then there's there's another really fascinating piece of data that I think is just instructive. This may not have anything to do with dentistry, but maybe you could speak to the whole ambulatory issue and what happens uh, health-wise when somebody gets confined to a wheelchair. This was right. fascinating. Right. And so I don't have any data, but I think you're absolutely right. But the data I do have is that for us, the average lifespan of a resident when they go into the nursing home is about three years. And so that is one of the challenges for our business because we're losing clientele fairly rapid rate, you know, so, but there's a pipeline there. That was another thing that kind of, you know, think about the baby boomers and where the big pig through the Python is going. And, you know, that's another thing that drew me to this because I figured it'd be a pretty stable business for a while because there is a population that's getting to that age. Um, yeah, and you're right, once people, slow down and get in the wheelchair and no, no longer moving around, it does decrease their lifespan. You know, I don't know the exact time frame on that in the months, but yes, but I do know, like I said, in the homes, it's about three years once they hit the door. Um, any comments in terms of your observations serving that population, just overall level of oral health and its connection to physical? Sure. Yeah, huge challenges there. Um, because the mental acuity and the physical acuity, yeah, the oral health goes down very quickly, um, which, you know, just contributes to all that. That's why the majority of the things we do are extractions and partials and dentures. Um, And I don't know the answer there, you know, other, so we try to be um, generous with our hygiene appointments and do as much oral care as we can, but still, you know, it's a a losing battle. It's a losing battle. Uh, tell us about COVID. <laughs> COVID has been a, a huge, well, no, you know, in the nursing homes, you know, because yeah, they the elderly were high on the list, comorbidities yeah. and the yeah. age and all the above. So yeah, it was a nightmare for a year, 18 months. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it's just frustrating because there's no good answer, you know? And so, um, you got to protect that population. So I understand now they have to lock it down. Uh, but then they're going without care. And so that just makes it deteriorate quicker and faster. Um, so it was, it was a frustrating, still is, it's, we're not out of it. Yeah. You know, just every Monday, we have our, our team meeting every Monday. And that's one of the questions, you know, is it more this week than last week? You know, and for the first time in three or four weeks, it was ticking down. Uh, in terms that, of number of cases? Well, homes, I don't really count the number of cases, but just, can we get in the home to do our appointments? And if there's any positive cases there, we decline because, you know, we don't want to carry it into another home. Gotcha. And so, um, but finally it's taken down, but no, it's a major, majorly frustrating. So any, any keys to what you all did to adapt, to pivot? Um, Cause I know that that was in your population, things were shut down longer than most everywhere else in dentistry. I can't say any secrets. No, you know, um, we just had to adapt weekly, you know, on uh, what are we going to do test wise? What are we doing this wise? Um, so no, no secret sauces that we have or could do. We just kind of had to uh, analyze every week. Uh, where are we this week? You know, what are we going to do? Where can we get in? What are they going to allow? What are they requiring? Because the homes would have different requirements in different homes. So um, we're just kind of dancing to their music. So it's been frustrating. 
All right, Stu, you want to ask him your favorite question? Sure. Yeah, Sterling, if you, uh, <laughs> you know, if you're looking back on your career, um, what what would you say to young Sterling starting starting out again? Is he was he on the right path, or are there things that you've learned that you could now share? some of those big lessons in, in dentistry. And it could even be your personal life too, things that you've learned. Uh, what would you say to young Dr. Sterling? <laughs> well, and so for whatever reason, I was inclined very early on to get help. You know, I started, like I said, with the Pride Institute, Dr. Pride, really probably within the first 12 months of practice because I knew I was in over my head and didn't know up from down. So I think that was one of the best things that started me on the path. Like I said, it was, I did a lot of practice management from pride to pinnacle, you know, the dental boot camp and tops. And so I was always looking uh, for that practice management guidelines, um, voracious reader. You know, there's one thing that Dr. Pride talked about. It's always stuck with me. One of the first courses I went to, he talked about the average person reads less than a book a year. The average millionaire reads 13, you know, so where do you want to be, you know? And so it just kind of started me down a path of like, read, 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 you know, and I'd read, see at the top it was one of my first ones and look through the bibliography and see what other books got it right there back in the bibliography and just kept on going, you know? Yeah. And I, to me, that would be the secret, you know, seek knowledge and books and mentors and coaches. I love that. Very cool. Um, last question. <clears throat> You have some people that have worked with you for a long time. And I, I think that's <clears throat> your, your ability to attract and keep good quality. Not all of them, you know, have, you don't never bat a thousand, but you do have some key people and key roles that have been with you for a long time. Yes. Wow. So what, what is the Sterling Stalder secret for attracting and keeping quality people. Yeah, I just think it's finding people that are in alignment with your, you know, your beliefs and your culture. Uh, I think you keep feeding that through, through the things that I've learned through Crown Council, you know, the camping trips and the annual meetings and the, you know, you keep it alive and keep it connected. And um, I think quality attracts quality. And so you find the people you want and treat them well. And, um, you know, it's worked out. It's worked out pretty well. I've got some good key people that uh, have made me successful. Absolutely. Very cool. Thank you for sharing your experience and your wisdom. And as always, for your, uh, your great example. Happy to do it. Continue there it is. Make a, <clears throat> a big difference. And uh, I love, uh, as you know, because I've told you this many times, your your willingness to innovate and see opportunity and go where very few dentists have been willing to go hmm. appreciate that thank you thank you all right thanks guys thanks Sterling. thanks for joining us for this mentor of the month podcast sponsored by crown council this is just one tool available to the crown council membership that helps dental teams build a culture of success that's our mission and purpose is to provide a place for dental teams to come together and learn the skills needed to develop your most valuable asset, the people, those people who work in your practice. 
As always, if you're interested in being part of this group or want more information about the tools available to the membership, go to www.crowncouncil.com or call us 1-800-276-9658. Thanks.